I really am interested in how people even interact with the pieces and what kind of memory did that color bring up? Because I think those memories are, are what's important for us and how we share that. Hi, everyone. I'm Amy Devers, and this is Clever. For this special presentation titled Chromatic Consciousness, we're taking on the subject of color and its power to help influence our perception, mood, even our consciousness. Here to break this down are several experts who are known for designing with color in impactful ways. Kimberly Frost, a color specialist with Ultra Fabrics. Lara Moravec, founder and design director of Dutch East Design. Melanie Barnett, artist, entrepreneur, and founder of the Black Artists and Designers Guild. Anna Murray, designer of pattern-based art initiatives and co-founder of Paternity. And Patrick O'Donnell, international brand ambassador for British paint and paper company Farrow and Ball. This conversation is brought to you by Ultra Fabrics and was recorded in May 2021 as part of Close Up, a live and virtual two-day design showcase event presented by Wanted Design Manhattan and ICFF. Now, here's Chromatic Consciousness. I am delighted to start this conversation about chromatic consciousness. Color holds the power to influence our perception, to communicate to our subconscious and impact our moods, focus, sense of safety, comfort, and even joy. It has the power to carry messages of culture, history, and identity. If we define consciousness as being awake and aware to one's surroundings, then chromatic consciousness suggests a conscious intention by the designer to work with color in ways that support our needs and harmonize with our growth as humans. In these times, where issues of wellness, justice, and connection are paramount, we're looking at color and how we can consciously harness its power to communicate, connect and hold space, and even enliven, uplift, and transcend. So let's start with the communication piece. How are you using color to communicate, connect, and hold space? If color is the language, what is the message and how is it delivered? Is there a particular piece of work or project that you did where color played a role in making an impact and relaying the intended message? Let's start with Anna. Your work with patterns is a conscious means of making sense of complexity. What do you have to say about using color to communicate? Well, for me at Paternity, a lot of what we explore traditionally has been very much uh, monochromatic. So we, a project that probably brings that to life um, best is we designed a huge immersive labyrinth installation outside Westminster Cathedral here in London in LDF, London Design Festival, several years ago. Playing with black and white for us has very much been about exploring the contrast of life, the kind of balance between different harmonics and aspects of light and shadow and masculine archetypes and feminine archetypes and yin and yang, but really bringing in these into balance. And the, the labyrinth was designed as an experiential space, of an immersive public art experience that we designed that brings to life this sacred symbol but also enable people to kind of walk through. And there's very, there's so much amazing science about what labyrinths do in terms of balancing out the different aspects of your hemispheres and your brain, the scientific and the spiritual, and kind of taking you into this place of flow and um, connection and reconnection to self. And 
a labyrinth is very much a journey that one goes on and comes back to a place of connection. And we had a garden at the center, which was Technicolor and introduced all different wildflowers and bees came and all these different aspects of nature. And people brought all the different elements of, of color and people from all around London came and enjoyed the space. So I suppose that would be a good, good project, but paternity as well. We explore color in all our projects, just like the one just behind me for ultra and bringing in photography of nature's color palette has been a huge inspiration to us. And, and it is technicolor and it's magical and it can take us into the realms of the kind of interconnected parts of many, many holes. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a pleasure to explore that. Are you able to get a sense of how the viewers or participants are absorbing the color and experiencing the installation? Yeah, well, with the with the labyrinth, it was amazing because it had these blocks of black and white. And so people would, you'd see people playing with it and children would kind of come up with games and people would find themselves kind of sitting in different parts and kind of arranging themselves in grids. And through the color, it was kind of connecting, but also creating this arrangements that people could explore and, and play with. And I, and I love that about how color can be a way to divide, but bring together. It can be a, a place where boundaries are blurred. And again, having this injection of color in the center, which is really where we were guiding people to come to. It was a garden for meditation and contemplation. The whole space was designed as a, as a place to connect people. It makes me quite emotional almost thinking about it now in this COVID world where you haven't been able to be together and actually to have this experience and this design that brought people together in this way was quite special. And I think, yeah, the color was a big part of that. Melanie, how do you communicate with color in your visual language? I've been really thinking about how I could deconstruct the messages that we've been taught around color and really trying to not create a hierarchy between colors. Color has always been um, a central part of my work as well, as well as my life. I live in color and I use that as a way to extend my lifestyle into the work. So for example, when we think about neutrals, there's this idea around like beige or, or, or whites or very light colors, but I look at turquoise as a, as a neutral and I look at purple as a neutral and orange. And so the idea is that all of these colors can act as a foundation for what we want to build, not necessarily create a hierarchy amongst them. And so what I try to do is I try to use a lot of these colors that are not traditionally considered in these particular categories so people can have a different relationship with them and realize that, you know, it's okay to paint your walls turquoise or green and include art on it. And it still looks amazing. And it's okay to paint your walls black as well as your floors purple and still look amazing. And so my relationship with color is a constant dance. And I want people to be inspired from all different angles and not necessarily look at how the rules, I say, put them in quotes that have been taught and that for people to create their own way of how they want to interact with the color. But I do use my work as a tool so people can engage in those conversations and think about how they feel when they do see a green or how do they feel when they see this blue versus being told how they should feel. When you see my work, I, I really am interested in how people even interact with the pieces and what kind of memory did that color bring up? Because I think those memories are, are what's important for us and how we share that. And so I use color as a way to engage and, and encourage people to have conversation around their life how, and their well-being and also engage in culture. So that's how I really um, use color in my work. 
I love what you just said. And I'm wondering through your work and through your process, have you yourself formed different relationships with color than you had before? Like, will you work with a, a green or a yellow and feel completely differently about it after you've brought it into your process? Yeah, actually I have, you know, and even not even just say the greens or the uh, blues, you know, I'm actually even looking at the grays and, and white, but but creating a different relationship to it and connecting it to culture. Because as we, we've we been taught, like white is a resemblance of or supposed to be remnants of purity of some sort. And black is on the other side, on the negative, where the reality is that they're not. They both are rich and they both actually carry the same value because both of those colors, like in cultural celebrations, are used to actually celebrate life in different ways. And so I'm actually looking at how we were taught how these colors were supposed to interact and still using them, but then also having that conversation around what we could create those colors to be with our lifestyle now. Looking at the past, looking at history and in cultures and communities and how these colors play important roles, but then also how do we continue that legacy or even add on to it and how it relates to our well-being here or wherever we are in space. I love that about adding on to legacy, because I think that we don't want to just regurgitate the past or reinterpret the past. We want to actually add to the culture a message of what's going on right now so that you're building a legacy for the future that has a really solid through line. Thank you for sharing that. That was really enlightening. Patty, I want to ask you in terms of color, how would you describe your voice? And is there a new voice in creativity that's inspiring you to use color in a different way? Um, from a fire and ball perspective, a lot of our colors are rooted in history. So I think the key word for us is integrity. We're not particularly trend-driven as a brand, which means we're, you know, we're fully aware of what's out there and people's demands because you know, we have to be commercial. There's no point producing colors that nobody can relate to. But our heritage, our original 57 colors chart was all inspired by historic houses around Great Britain. But, you know, the development since then is much more organic. You know, there is a commerciality to it. Our palette is quite muted or the, the reputation for our palette is quite muted. But if I pulled out a whole portfolio, because every, every few years we introduce nine new colors and we retire nine colors to our archive, you know, there are some really verdant, hot, spicing colors in there. You know, I think we're just learning all the time. And we listen, you know, one of the biggest influences for us is the consumer, what they want. But, the, you know, they love the characteristics of our brand. We will never be all things to all men because we are quite specific and have a real integrity in who we are and what our palette is and the origins of our palette. You know, the consumer is really, really important to us, how we develop and, you know, listening to their needs so you know sometimes they'll go oh we're loving this blue but kind of it needs to be a bit cleaner for the palette now sometimes we will produce cleaner cleaner colors but all of our colors i mean the one thing a lot of people have been on the fire and ball journey for 30 years of this is, is a lot of our colors have a little note of black in them that kind of reduces that cleanness and kind of just takes the edge off but in terms of creativity we look all around i mean you know and you have to be really careful because people are always nervous about cultural appropriation. But our last collection, we had a color called Bancho, which is based on sort of Japanese leaf tea, like matcha, you know, a green tea. We did Rangwali, which is a really beautiful sort of celebratory pink, which is in honor of one of the, you know, the holy festivals, the, you know, Rangwali Holi, which is a Hindu festival. We're always taking influence from different eras, but then we also have to know that most of our paint is sold in the Northern Hemisphere. 
So therefore, it has to respond to the lighting environments of the northern hemisphere, which is very different to equatorial light or southern hemisphere. So, well, you know, so that kind of thing. So there's lots of associations and considerations when we produce that influence. For me, the one person, personally, I'm influenced, not necessarily as a brand, but the one person I look to all the time in every collection, you know, it's very bourgeois, it's very elitist, but is Piero Piccioli, uh, Valentino Couture. I mean, his use of color just blows me away every year. He's a genius with color. So I get my buzz from him a lot. And fashion, big time, I get a massive buzz with fashion. Kim Jones at Dior has just done an amazing collaboration with a Ghanaian artist called um, um, Amoka Boafa. And he does the most beautiful Ghanaian portraits. They're things of great beauty and they're really textural and really visceral, but really happy. They're really joyful. As Anna was talking about it earlier. I mean, it's everywhere around us. And I think the one thing the pandemic has done is made us open our eyes a little bit more and see things more clearly because we have less distractions. It's not that we've had more time on our hands. We haven't, but I think we're just viewing the world differently. We're kind of looking inwards a bit more and noticing stuff, which can only be a good thing. I agree with you. There's definitely an inward gaze and there is also a reshuffling of priorities that tends to center around wellness connection and communication, which is what we're focusing on today. Laura, I wanted to ask you the same question. How would you describe your voice and is there a new voice in creativity that's inspiring you to use color in, a, in maybe a different way? Yeah, I'd say as a designer and we build the built environments, you know, our work is within building hotels and restaurants and spaces. And I think for me personally, I have the advantage of creating this color story where it's a little more nuanced and unexpected. I very much look to color stories that are off the main spectrum and whether it's taking the saturation down or up and creating something a little more unexpected and mixing warms and cools, everything you see when you come into a space is attributed to color, where it's, whether it's the material itself or the color in its own hue. And as for inspiration, for me, there's nothing that's so new. It's actually a very old inspiration, and that is the natural world and nature itself. And I realized that when I take time to really stop and look and inquisit about whether it's a stone or a leaf, what is so magical to me is all those little parts that make the whole, all that gradation of color. A leaf is green, yes, but within it, there's so much magic and diversity and range. And that, I think, is what really motivates me when I put together palettes and that fascination with gradation is something we've been working on recently with a Stria rug collection, and it's really imbuing and showcasing that beautiful range and weave of color within one, say, indigo, but within it, there's a magnitude of possibility. It's like each color has its own personality. And if you really show the nuance of that, you get to know the color even better. You get to know its light side, its dark side, how it looks when it reflects back to you. I think that's a beautiful way of describing your work in color. Kimberly, I want to ask you something about process. At what point do you bring color into the alchemy of your process? Do you start with color or what informs your choices? Great question. I have many clients, especially ultra fabrics, where they cater to so many different markets. So A&D, furniture, transportation, aviation, even fashion. 
So for me, I have to look at all these different moving parts to kind of start the process. So I kind of start out with analytics, believe it or not. I look at numbers and it may sound boring, but it really informs me to like what's selling in the market. And unfortunately, it's like neutrals right now, only because I'm a color enthusiast and I love color. So neutrals, oh my gosh. So I'm always trying to figure out how do I infuse color? And then I look at, I do a lot of research, especially lately because we're not traveling. And thank you, Farrell and Ball. Your colors are amazing. I'm always inspired. And I also need to look globally to trends because... My clients have, you know, clients in UK and the colors are different there than they are in the United States. So I have to do a lot of research before I actually dig into like what I love. So that's when the magic kind of happens. I start to take and put my personal stamp on what I think color is and where it's going and where it is right now. So before COVID, like all of us, I traveled quite extensively and I always had the heaviest bag beads and fabrics from India, tiles from Brussels. I put everything in my bag and I brought it back and that became my archive. So I have a really extensive archive of color and I keep them in boxes because I'm kind of organized and I keep them all by color. But it really does come back to me when I'm doing a presentation for a client, when I'm pulling carpet or wall covering, I take my personal archives and I bring them together and I put them out on a board and I talk about why these things mean something to me. And why these blues or these reds or pinks are important to where we're going. Because I think color is transformative. It's intuitive. And for me, it's thoughtful. I want to be thoughtful about every color I do because it needs to sell at the end of the day. For example, I found uh, last November like this beautiful bird's nest. And woven in it was this really perfectly beautiful mint birthday ribbon. And I thought to myself, like, this is what I'm talking about like neutrals with color. And this bird was very resourceful, although it's birthday ribbon. So I don't know. But anyways, I kept that as kind of something I kept on my, uh, in my studio that I always looked at and reflected on because my job is to kind of, how do you sell color? So neutrals with color. I agree with you. I do go to nature a lot. Nature is like the most magical place to find every range of color. And so I used a lot of color as a focal point and also in my color direction. But my process is kind of simple. It's not earth shattering, but I, I feel like it really needs to be personal for me to, to and able to sell it to my clients. And Ultra Fabrics has been great because they really do understand color. They capture it. They want to celebrate it. And um, so that's really my process. And with COVID, again, doing everything online and not traveling has been probably, for me, the saddest part of not being able to bring things back and continue to keep my archive going. Well, I definitely want to see pictures of that archive. It sounds amazing and organized. My favorite. So we've mentioned COVID a few times. We are currently in a pandemic. We've talked at the top about how wellness, justice, and communication and connection are really important right now. And I'm wondering, how has the pandemic affected your use of color? Are you using color in a more therapeutic way? Are you using color in a more communicative way? Are you seeing trends emerging I definitely feel there's like we, we, a few people have touched on it, but this, this kind of craving to actually, we haven't been able to explore outwards. We haven't been able to do that, but we've been able to look at our surroundings with this, with this kind of renewed gratitude and appreciation and, and inspiration. Even if it's a kind of bit of oily petrol on the, on the road, it's, it's like we actually can find that inspiration anywhere. 
or inside. And, and for us, again, at Paternity, a lot of the time we're looking at pattern, but in the broadest sense, so we're thinking about visual patterns, but also what are these patterns inside me, my habits, my behaviors, my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, and how those play out and how those also affect everyone in my life, every, every being, human, non-human, who I'm in contact with, and everything that I think that we're realizing that we have impact. And that could be positive, that can be negative. And I think there's been this, this drive to really explore that and really think that through from a very ancestral kind of perspective and really go back and really connect with ourselves in stronger ways. We run w- workshops where we help people explore marbling. It's very simple, but very psychedelic. We take people on these experiences where they're really looking at colour and really looking and seeing how it's interacting and how it's moving and how it looks like it's a river from above or it looks like it's a vein kind of fractal network. And it's very, it's very psychedelic. And I think there's this inner exploration this year that people have gone on and that has involved certain people taking other plant medicines and things like that to actually really explore and I think that's going to be a trend that's going to come out is this this inner exploration and seeing things with this lens of interconnectedness fundamentally like what might interconnectedness truly in that we are all completely interconnected and interrelated how might that shape how we look at something as simple but yet completely non-simple like pattern color is this universal language and how can we start to understand it and feel connected to life in ways that we really need to I think in order to evolve as a species it's quite big stuff but I think it's really needed that we need to kind of speak in these terms now and find that beauty as well and the wonder in it because unless we find beauty and wonder I think that's the gateway that we can start to dig in and ask the question and really explore if that's not too no, cosmic. I love it. I always think about how music and art help us actually put expression to the intangible and help us process emotions we didn't even really know we needed to process. And I believe color has the power to do that too. And when we bring it out of music, out of art and into the real world in real ways, I think we can do powerful things with color. And I think those powerful things can expand our consciousness, can affect the interpersonal dynamics that we have with people. And it can also, as you know, I want to talk to you about this, Melanie, it can register on the sort of legacy timeline. This moment in time sort of has maybe a color palette to it. Has the pandemic changed your thought process or are you seeing certain colors emerge for you in terms of how you might respond to what's going on in this particular moment? Well, it was interesting at the beginning of the pandemic, when everything was on lockdown, I would go to my studio and I said, I have to work with the colors that are in my studio. I wasn't able to order anything. So it forced me to like have a different relationship with the color palettes that were on hand. What I did was I forced myself to make sure that I used all the colors that I had and not worry about, does this go together? Does this not go together? And I changed my attitude around creating palettes and said, all the colors work together. And I used all of the colors in everything that I was doing. And I didn't limit myself. And I was doing that for a while. And I started to create work that I wouldn't have created before if I was thinking, oh, I'm only going to work with these two colors or three colors. I was working with 10, 12, like I said, anything that was in the studio. And that has continued. And it's really shown me that thinking about how I want to dismantle our relationships and, and the conditionings around how we're taught color should be and not be really shows that, hey, you can have a, a beautiful object with 
100, 10, 15, 10, 20 colors. It doesn't really matter. And not worrying about whether things go together. And I think once we realize that color could be so powerful in numbers as well as in, in, in not numbers as well, like it could be limited to two or it could be 20, but it all works. To this day, I do continue with that. And then now I'm in a practice where I am challenging myself to, like like Anna mentioned about the indigo and the blues, just work with one color and then work through all the shades. And what does that bring up? What kind of work can I create with that type of thinking? And it could be, it'll be just as beautiful as the piece with the 20 colors. And as far as like trends and, and, and seeing color, I just think that more creatives like myself, artists are just using a lot more bold, and bright color and not limiting to, for example, if we're doing portraits, I see people being more colorful with their portraits, not doing it as a realistic to what our skin tones are. Even if there are skin tones, they're not limiting to that tone. They're adding blues and greens and just other color combinations that may not have been expected when thinking about portraiture um, specifically. And so again, that is also helping to dismantle ideas around people and, and what people would look like and how we should feel about different communities. So those are the type of, if we call them trends, those are the type of uh, trends that I'm seeing. I love how you express that because it's sort of like a mirror of society. We're all reconciling ourselves with the fact that we are better together. We are stronger when we mix and blend in unique ways and really value our relationship to each other and the diversity and spectrum of humanity that we all get to experience. Um, and at the same time, in the, in the monochromatic scheme of things, it's also really important to sort of dive deeper into understanding people and not sort of ascribe certain relationships to them or look at them and decide that you already know who they are without really taking the time to look at their nuance and get to know them. Melania, it's so beautiful that the way you speak about your art is really a beautiful poem for how we're sort of trying to evolve as a, as a species. Along those lines, how do you see color as let's say, an inclusive invitation. If we're talking about color in space, how do you signal that all are welcome to that space? How is it a means to imbue a kind of cultural context and identity and a sense of place? I'd like to hear what Patty has to say about this. I mean, it's kind of interesting because, you know, with inclusivity, I worked on a project two years ago and literally and I had to suddenly start learning about something called light reflective values. And I was working with an organization in the UK called the Royal National Institute for the Blind. It was really fascinating with me and it made me appreciate one, how important color is, you know, but not just from an aesthetic point of view, from an absolute practical point of view as a guiding point to navigate through a building and to know where boundaries were and where, where your, you know, so the floor met, so your baseboards would be different and where the corners of buildings were and where the lift shafts were and the staircase was. To give a better example of light reflective value, an easy example is, let's say white is closer to 100 and black is kind of nearer to zero. So, you know, as long as you've got, I think it's kind of like 35 or 40 kind of value points between the colors you know people with impartial sight you know or glaucoma and stuff can actually differentiate between sort of boundaries and limits and wall spaces so it gives you know it gives that depth of field so you know where you're going you know where a corner is 
So that was really important to me. And, you know, it's obviously really important from a commercial point of view, application of color within commercial buildings. And the other thing on a more, another sensitive level is we as a brand, you know, have really, and we've never done it consciously, it's kind of suddenly not gender stereotyping about color, about a feminine pink or a masculine blue. Where does that come from? It's a load of nonsense. I had a pink bathroom 20 years ago and I was never worried about what people thought about it. So it's kind of like, you know, so it's kind of just being more comfortable, you know, that gender stereotyping of colors is, is absolutely bonkers. So, you know, let's embrace that. You know, and we do it. And we, I think we even found something on our color card of one of our browns or blues. And it said a very masculine shade. And it's like, oh, no. It's that kind of not laziness. You know, there was no malcontent. It's just like literally we, just how we kind of describe color. It's how it was. So we're just kind of being much more thoughtful in, you know, our articulation and, and backstory. So that's really interesting for us. That's really fascinating what you just said. And I think that it's interesting to think of ourselves as using color responsibly. We have maybe a, a power and a responsibility to help dismantle, as Melanie would say, the relationship of gender norms to color. We also have a responsibility to use color to punctuate physical space so that it's more friendly to people with other abilities. I don't think that we've really investigated the depths of how much responsibility we have with color. Following on that same question, Lara, how do you see color as an inclusive invitation to imbue cultural context in a, in a sense of place? Yeah, I'd say, you know, working with, again within the built environment, we need to create this sense of place and inclusion. We design spaces to gather and bring people together. So how we use color and articulate it and attribute it to a volume of space, whether it's one plane or a whole space, it's so impactful and important. And it actually creates these very nuanced subconscious cues of how we work in a social dynamic way, whether we are to gather and rest or there's color and how it's um, laid on the walls to make you understand wayfinding through a space Within architecture and design, color is such an impactful and goes hand in hand with materiality that we have a lot to learn. But I think it's a tool I use and we use on a daily basis to create that inclusion. Thank you. We are getting close to the end. So I'm going to wrap up with one final question. And I'd love for all of you to weigh in on this. Moving forward, what needs, what human needs can we meet with color? What palettes, color collections will be coming out in the next year? And what do you think will be the motivation, the underlying motivation for using those color palettes? Well, I think, first of all, we've taken a large pause in our life, mm -hmm. right? So um, one of the things that I'm seeing is that people want experience, right? They want to be involved. They want haptics. They want softness. They want to make things. I was lucky enough to take um, a marvelizing um, course with Anna. Thank you. But they want to do shibori. They want to do color. They want to understand natural dye processes. And I think moving forward, colors are becoming warmer. Again, a connection to nature. That's really important for what's moving forward. What I've heard from everyone is that this individuality is really important to color and be, being able to express it in a way. I don't think there are any rules anymore. I think people are really moving forward thinking that, they want to be safe. They want to be expressive. I think people are just more open about color and how they, they use it. So I think moving forward, we're just going to see a lot of really amazing 
changes and also some things that are grounded, you know, that are safe, that will keep us together, like you said, like connected. So that's what I kind of see for the future. I kind of see our human-made artificial use of color as maybe a means of helping people actually reconnect with nature in a more harmonious way. So thank you for sharing that, Kimberly. Mulaney, what what human needs do you think we can meet with color? It's going to tie into our mental health. And I think that we're really going to see a resurgence, I say, of color in multitudes. I think these the palettes that people live in are going to change because we've had this pause. And I think for those who've been living in beige spaces, they're going to change. I think those who've been living in very colorful spaces, they're going to add to it because they see that that's what's making them happy. We're going to see all these different individual ways of how we live, how we communicate, but it all will lead right back to our own personal well-being. And so that's why we're going to see so many different variations because we are really tapping into what we need as individuals to be happy, what we need as individuals to bring us joy every day. And I think a lot of us are really going to start tapping into our rights to have that joy on a daily basis and not so much as spurts, whether it's on a vacation or these little retreats, it's going to be more in, in, encompassed in our daily lives. I love that. We do have the right to joy on a daily basis. We do. It does not have to be all drudgery. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, what human needs do you think we can meet with color? It's definitely the need of well-being. I think moving through this year and a half, we need that resurgence and healing and dealing with all that this time has brought to the forefront. And I agree. I think there's no rules, you know, no more restraints. Let the color be bold. Let the color be vivid. Color within itself is a kaleidoscope. And I think now it's it warrants and it welcomes us to just Whatever goes, goes. And the most important thing is for this positive affirmation to take place. Thank you. Anna, what's your take? I mean, everyone, it, we're all kind of coming from a similar place, it feels. But I think there's certainly this, we're living through this such disconnected times that actually color can bring us back, I think, to that harmony feeling. And I think really it is about feeling. And I spoke to my shamanic friend in Colombia last night. So I said, I'm doing this talk about color. And she said, well, every color has a pattern. Every pattern has a frequency and everything is interconnected. And I think when we start to kind of come back to that, it's really beautiful. And I think connecting more and more with our feelings, with our emotions and wanting to kind of dive into that and keep diving because I think we know that we need to kind of navigate through this water and our feelings and our emotions and kind of coming back to that connectedness is going to be so, so soothing. And interest is also, I'm doing a presentation for Ultra on Wednesday, and I've been looking at how other animals see colour. And we look through such an anthropocentric human gaze and actually seeing how bees see leaves and flowers and that is ultraviolet so it looks like something from avatar when you actually and birds as well they see in complete different ways and actually i think that it just opens up a whole new realm to work within doesn't it exactly to me that's just magic and i think it takes us in again into that acknowledgement that we are one thread within a web of life that's consciousness that's awareness that we are all interconnected in that way so so for me that that takes us into yeah something quite exciting and much needed patty close us out i mean it's kind of all been said hasn't it by everybody and it is it's kind of mental health and well-being and also because we a lot of us have been confined for quite long periods of time 
we're there in our own house and quite a few of us don't have the luxury of lots of space. It's kind of how to work emotionally within the confines of maybe two or three rooms. So, you know, we're seeing as a company people rather than having one color is using color blocking, which kind of delineates space within a house. So you kind of go, right, I'm going to paint a rectangle on this wall and I'm going to create a little workstation there. And then kind of over here, I'm going to do another rectangle, you know, on at another angle. And that's kind of the dining area. So it's kind of a nice way to introduce color. And the one thing which is really lovely for me personally, because I'm not, I'm, I love color. I use color all over my house is we're moving away, even at neutral territory, we're moving, somebody said this earlier, we're moving to warmer, more earth tones, so kind of brown, sort of earth-based neutrals rather than sort of cooler white and grays. And also people are embracing much more color. The response to dark colors has been fantastic. So really beautiful, sort of smoky, sort of shadowed forest greens and lovely sort of petroleum inky blues and that's really fantastic for us because it means we can start exploring color and talking color more because we know i mean as and any paint brand will tell you this most people are safe in the territory of off-whites and neutrals but because obviously through social media and obviously we share a lot of users generated content on our social platforms we can show that a lot of people are using color so then other people are sort of going Oh, it's not as frightening as I thought, and I was always petrified to commit. But because there's so much pictorial evidence of people kind of taking baby steps and then kind of really embracing color, it's it, it you know it's kind of a chain reaction, which is really lovely to see. Really lovely to see. I'm still waiting for the renaissance of yellow. It hasn't quite happened yet, but I am pushing for that somehow. Well, that was wonderful. Thank you so much for this sensual and colorful conversation around chromatic consciousness. I want to thank all of the panelists and thank you to Ultra Fabrics and Close Up for hosting this event. Thank you so much, everyone. Thanks for listening. For more information on Ultra Fabrics, visit ultrafabricsinc.com. For more information on Wanted Design, head to wanteddesignnyc.com. To see images and read the show notes, click the link in the details of this episode on your podcast app, or go to cleverpodcast.com where you can also sign up for our newsletter. Subscribe to Clever on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you do us a favor and rate and review, it really does help people find us. We also love chatting with you on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Clever Podcast, and you can find me at Amy Devers. Clever is produced by 2VDE Media with editing by Rich Straffolino, production assistance from Alana Nevins and Anushka Stefan, and music by L1011. 